Hi, friends. This podcast addresses the grief and protest as a result of the murder of George Floyd. George should be alive today, as his death was the result of inhumane police brutality perpetuated by a culture of white supremacy. George Floyd is the latest in a long list of names. Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Eric Gardner, Azelle Ford, Michelle Cousseau, Tanisha Anderso, Tamir Rice, Natasha McKenna, Walter Scott, Betty Jones, Philando Castile, Tatiana Jefferson, Eric Reason, Dominique Clayton, and the list goes on. As a white person, I know I will never fully understand, but I stand with all of our hurting sisters of color right now. I will amplify your voices and share your stories. I will listen and learn. I will work to do better every day. Black mamas matter, black littles matter, black voices matter, and black lives matter. With that said, I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Rachel Tran. Ever feel like you suck at this job? Motherhood, I mean. Have too much anxiety and not enough patience? Too much yelling, not enough play? There's no manual, no village, no guarantees. The stakes are high. We want so badly to get it right. But this is survival mode. We're just trying to make it to bedtime. So if you're full of mom guilt, your temper scares you. You feel like you're screwing everything up and you're afraid to admit any of those things out loud. This podcast is for you. This is Failing Motherhood. I'm Danielle Batman, and each week we'll chat with a mom ready to be real, sharing her insecurities, her fears, her failures, and her wins. We do not have it all figured out. That's not the goal. The goal is to remind you, you are the mom your kids need. They need what you have, you are good enough, and you're not alone. I hope you pop in earbuds, somehow sneak away, and get ready to hear some hope from the trenches. You belong here, friend. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to Failing Motherhood. My name is Danielle Bettman, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Rachel Tran. Rachel is the owner of Village Life Parenting. She's a mother of four children, ages 13, 11, 9, and 6. While she is a Nebraska native, Rachel is also a biracial mother, a first-generation Haitian and Swedish-American, who was recently remarried to a first-generation Vietnamese and German-American. Her heart for mothers in Nebraska shows in her volunteer work over the last six years and now the creation of a family-centered nonprofit. Rachel continues to learn, grow, and share information and support to families who wish to write their family story within the neuroscience-based ideals of respectful and positive parenting. Welcome, Rachel. Hi. How are you? I'm good. You know, I'm (laughs) sipping away on my uh, ice cold brew, even though it's late, so... Oh, That's does good. that keep you up? It does. Um, <laughs> it keeps it. It keeps me up the perfect amount. Uh, I still have laundry oh, to fold and dishes to wash. So, <laughs> <laughs> I have I have grown in my caffeine tolerance yes. as my mom years have gone on. <laughs> yes, yes. I tell my friends that um, we can only be friends if you are highly caffeinated. Uh, this is definitely <laughs> a requirement. <laughs> For motherhood. <laughs> oh, in fact, my personal Instagram, I, I, my tagline is uh, navigating motherhood with copious amounts of caffeine. So, <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. I think my website says that coffee is my love language. Yes. So yes. we we speak the same language. Oh, good. We can be friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm for sure asking. you and I agree that parenting is one of the hardest jobs in the world. And I know, you know, every mama works to overcome anxiety and that loss of identity and, you know, growth and transformation and, and hardship in a lot of ways. But your story is exceptional. <laughs> you have overcome <laughs> so many things. So I'm sure you don't feel like you're failing, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, You know, I, I didn't feel like I was failing until this last weekend, but we'll get into that later. I definitely, I think I have a constant overall feeling of failure when it comes to motherhood. Uh-huh. Like we all do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like we all do. Exactly. Um, But I feel like going into motherhood, I was very prepared. Um, I was the oldest of five. Um, growing up, my mom had two best friends and they had, um, the one mom had five kids and, and the other one had four and uh, which one happens to be my husband. No. <laughs> uh-huh. But I, I was the oldest of all of them. So I was left in charge of all of them all the time. Um, I taught my first Sunday school of uh, 24-year-olds at the age of 13. Uh, I wow. made all through high school and college. So I feel like I came to motherhood very prepared. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, life happens. And, and you're hit in the head and yeah. Yeah. So, so take us back, start from the beginning. You have, you know, a 13 year old now, but Mm -hmm. you know, what did early motherhood look like for you? Oh, early motherhood, uh, early motherhood was glorious. Um, my birth was incredible. Um, it was everything that I wanted it to be. We were going Mm -hmm. along just fine. Um, you know, he nursed amazing right from birth. I was the, quote, perfect mother. I gave him baths every day with a full-on massage every night, you know. It wow, was awesome. you shook it. <laughs> um, but that uh, one night when I was giving him a massage, I noticed a lump on his um, left side of his abdomen. turned out to be a cancerous tumor, a very large cancerous tumor. So wow. that was a road that we traveled for a while. We had a couple, a few rounds of chemo and a couple, um, uh, a couple surgeries. He did recover and is in full remission. Um, so he's Thank God. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what age was that that you found him? He was, let's see, he was 10 months old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that was that's every mom's nightmare. It was. It was a whirlwind. We, I found that, and then we went into children's urgent care, and we nev- we didn't move for another month. Um, wow. Um, and that was my first kid, and so I was like, okay, God, that's fine. It's great. We're, we're moving on. I survived that. We were able to breastfeed right. through all that. He was two. I had my second child. Um, beautiful, little, curly, red-haired girl. She came out hyperventilating. <laughs> um but she was she was a doll, and again we were moving on great. Uh, I tandem breastfed and things were fine, and then at five weeks, um, she went into kidney failure. She was uh, fully septic. Um, she had what was called vesicular reflux. Most people know it as kidney reflux. Um, so she had. Uh, we were in the hospital with her for about a month. She had, uh, you know, 
IV antibiotics. Um, and then a couple surgery, uh, one surgery later on down the road to repair that. Again, we were great. We recovered. We were fine. We, my first husband and I moved across the country um, to Oregon, and I had my third child. She was an absolute beautiful birth, again, tandem. Mm -hmm. uh, but my third was born with a birth defect called coanal atresia. She could not breathe through her nose at all. There was a blockage of bone. So miraculously, what? she... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, miraculously, she taught herself how to breathe out of her mouth, um, which newborns don't do. She, in between the trip from our house to the emergency room, um, she taught herself how to mouth breathe, and that is the only way she survived. Um, wow. Scary. She, it was. Uh, yeah. Looking back on it, it was a miracle that I was as calm as I was. But, yeah. So that road was fun. That road encompassed, <laughs> <laughs> that road encompassed uh, seven reconstructive surgeries. and Seven? She, seven, yep. Um, we had one about every four to five weeks. Um, the, the, brain, the bone and membrane would grow back, and so they had to go in and laser it out. And those surgeries wow. were all in that's more than That's more surgeries than, like, cleft palate, you know, restructuring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah, it was, it was intense. Um, I, I, you know, those moments right after birth, you never forget. Um, and hers uh -huh. especially, um, I, I can picture it in all in my head. The things that I said to the ER nurses, the things that I said to the NICU nurses, the every single thing I remember. Yeah, um, it's like burned, etched into is. your memory. It's probably PTSD now that I think about it. But <laughs> totally. <laughs> but that was my third child. Wow. Um, so she's, bang, bang, boom. Bang, bang, boom. She's a, a very healthy nine-year-old now. She's, uh, honestly, she's almost taller than me. Um, <laughs> she's watching. She's she's a hoot. She's very funny. Um, my four, I came back to Nebraska. My first husband and I separated, and I came back to Nebraska when I was five months pregnant with my um, fourth child. Um, I did the single mom life for a few years. Um mm. So I want, I say single mom, but, uh, I had a very strong village around me. Um, I had an amazing set of friends. My family was absolutely incredible. I, there's no possible way I could have done it without them. Mm. Um, so I'm so glad you had that. Yeah. I don't think that anybody and anybody that is living a single mom life right now, I think knows that it's so important to have that. Um, Anyways, after my fourth was, um, let's see, she was about three, uh, I got remarried to a childhood friend, um, and we, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> um, Congratulations. I, thank you. He's an incredible human being. So, and we live in LinkedIn now, and um, my, uh, my youngest is six. So that and is. And she's healthy. And she's healthy. Yes, she's my only. <laughs> we, we joke. I know you and I talked this afternoon about this and we joked. Um, she's my only healthy one. And yeah. but she definitely makes up for it in her spirit. <laughs> you want to talk about a, a fiery kiddo. Um, <laughs> that's her. Yeah. She, she keeps me on my toes and, and really um, makes me stand 
or I don't know, what do I want to say? <laughs> you always have to word things very carefully. Yeah, yeah. She, I have to be very conscious and very intentional with positive and respectful parenting with that one. I have uh-huh. to constantly be practicing that pause, constantly be taking a breath, constantly uh-huh. reevaluating, okay, this is not a life or death situation. I know she's <laughs> screaming bloody murder, but just take a breath. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know she's triggering everything in you. But just calm down. <laughs> that is my youngest. <laughs> oh, we love them. We love yes. our strong-willed kids. <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> she probably knew that she had to stake her stake her place and and make a name for herself in your family. If ever oh, yes. Story. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> So enduring each of those like medical, you know, traumas with your kids, did that make you more um, at ease and like kind of surrendering and not making, not, you know, making things a big deal? Um, Or did that make you more anxious and apt to, you know, be afraid of the things that could happen? Um, That made me really lean into my faith. Um, and really to surrender to the fact that uh, as parents, we're given our kids on loan. They don't really belong to us. Um, mm. We are we are asked to be their guides. Um, we're asked to be their leaders. We're asked to be their, their stronghold, their, their, their place of comfort. But they don't belong to us. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it didn't make me more anxious. I probably should have. I probably should be a nervous wreck. (laughs) Um, But uh, for those of your listeners that are Christ followers, I think that they can resonate with the fact that those are the times when we really have to lean on that. We really have to make a decision. Okay, God, this kid is yours. Yeah, that's that's when your your faith gets so real. And I'm sure that you felt that like, peace that passes all understanding in some of those moments when you could have just been beyond yourself. Yeah. Yeah. There were times I remember with my third one when, um, for instance, when we had to go into the ambulance from one ER up to the other hospital and the nurse was attempting to tell me, well, there's not enough room for you in the ambulance. And I looked her straight in the face and said, I'm a small person. You can scoot over. And I, I, there was no fear. I, there was Good no doubt you. in my mind. I just birthed this child less than an hour ago. I, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, those experiences, I did. I did experience that peace that I cannot explain. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they did empower me for these years of my parenting journey to all my kids. Um are high-functioning autistic, um, you would never be able to tell interacting with them. Um, one of them has sensory processing issues, and I think that if I hadn't had those experiences earlier on, I wouldn't have felt as empowered to be a homeschooling family or to know that I am the parent that they're supposed to have. Um, mm. So, yeah. So it was all the experiences you needed to kind of build and grow the mom that you are today. I think so. I think yeah. So. I could be wrong, but I think so. 
<laughs> I think it makes more sense to rest and trust that than it does yeah. to think that it's all a coincidence for yeah. sure. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. I, I don't have that luxury. <laughs> right. So what got you into the work you're doing now? How did you find that and find a passion for it? Um, I started um, being a volunteer with um, a breastfeeding organization, the Life League International. Um, um, I'm a very passionate um, baby wearer. Um, my friends like to dub me the... Uh, patron saint of baby wearing. <laughs> my my solution for every parenting problem is, okay, but have you tried tying them on your back yet? <laughs> so uh, through that volunteer work, um, I was able to meet and work with a lot of families um, and build relationships and, um, I don't know, just connect those families with other families. And, and I feel like because I grew up in Lincoln and Omaha, it just kind of crosses those boundaries for me and, and people say, oh, yeah, I know that person. Oh, no, you, you know this person. And, and it's been looking back on it now. Um, it's very fun to see the threads of that web and how they all, how they all interwove together. Um, yeah. How do you decide to start your own nonprofit? Uh, <laughs> well, I am a bleeding heart. So <laughs> I figured nonprofit work would um, be the best way to go. And it, it was just a very natural transition, I guess. Um, so I figured, well, I, I enjoy doing it. It brings me life. It's clearly bringing life and light into other families. And mm-hmm. um, people need a village. They need connection. Um, you know, I started, when I came back here, I started a homeschooling co-op that moved up in Omaha once a week, and we are a very unique tribe of people, <laughs> and uh, that idea of, of building those close relationships and, and just doing life together, I want to help facilitate that with other families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just, I, like... As I said before, with my background, um, I do. I went to Nebraska Wesleyan for elementary and early childhood education, and I feel like um, I am constantly learning and constantly gaining more information, and I want to give that to other people. Um, mm-hmm. It could be because I'm a talker and I like to talk, <laughs> but but I also know parents need it and they want it and sometimes they don't even know where to go Um, yes yeah i think we can almost be fooled by how much information is at our fingertips that we should just be able to figure this out but i think it's actually making it more challenging to sort through everything that's conflicting or find the thing that's really going to speak to and fit you know you and the kid that's in front of you and you know have the support that you need because everything that's you know, virtual is just not good enough. Um, so there's yeah. there's so many needs that families have, even though we do have so many resources. Mm-hmm. Um, there there just isn't uh, isn't a substitute for the personal relationship yeah. that I'm sure that you build with families and, and make that connection. Yeah, and and as you said, and and I've said now, there are there are many there's a plethora of resources out there, um, but there's not a lot of people. That 
have it locally within the community. So I want to be that local source within our community. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm so glad that you're back in Nebraska. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. So clearly you've overcome a lot. Uh, you know, you're a fierce mama bear that advocates for her kids and you are homeschooling and you are starting nonprofits and co-ops and, you know, baby wearing alliances and tandem breastfeeding and doing all of the things. So you, you win motherhood, right? Like (laughs) you mastered it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, no, no, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Um, so how do you resonate with, with failing motherhood? What happened uh, this past week? Oh, so this weekend was the last weekend in May, and um, there has been some protests all over the nation. Um, there have been uh, some killings, and it has really brought um, race relations up to the forefront of everybody's mind. Um, and <laughs> you ask how I resonate with failing motherhood. Um, on Saturday, we were out of town, and I got the uh, I got the notification from my news app about the things that were going on, and I tuned in live, and I was watching it, and, and I was flabbergasted. And at that moment, out of the corner of my eyes, and two of my kiddos started having a tip, and. I turned to them and I said, guys, I need you to come over here and I, I don't know how to talk to you about this, but I said, you want to know why I'm so passionate about you guys solving your difficulties peacefully? I said, let me show you this video. And I, and I, I just showed them a little clip of the protests and, and of the previous night's violent, uh, violent riots and, and everything that's going on. And I said, this is why. I said, because in this world, there's, there's so much tension and so much um, violence. And, and, and I said, if we can't, if we can't figure out how to resolve our conflicts peacefully, how can we do this to the rest of the world? And and I, my 13-year-old turned to me and totally confused and said, but mom, I thought that this black-white thing was solved. He said, I... Mm. I, I thought the laws were passed. He said, I, I didn't know this was a problem. And then my nine-year-old turned to me. My nine-year-old turned to me and said, Mom, what's my skin color? And I realized right there, Daniel, that I feel... Mm. I am a mom... A biracial mom whose parents experienced extreme prejudice, extreme racism. There were protests on the day of their wedding and so much pushback from their family members. And I have never once discussed this with my children. 
How is that possible? And I'm a homeschooling mom. This is stuff that should have been covered in our history. Yeah. You want to know how I resonate with failing motherhood? Uh. My heart was in pieces. It was so heavy. I sobbed to my children. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry I failed you. Oh, that is tremendous guilt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm not a crying person. Uh, you ask anybody that knows me, they will joke with you and say, oh, Rachel doesn't cry. She's, she's, she's a Vulcan. She doesn't. <laughs> she, <laughs> for any of you Trekkie fans out there, she doesn't, she doesn't cry. And I don't. There are very few people that see me cry. Yeah. Um, but my heart was so heavy. Have it, it, it's so complex. The issue is so deep and so complex. And I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where to begin. And I feel like you're definitely not alone. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I was so grateful that you're willing to share and that you reached out because you knew that your story would resonate with other moms feeling the same type of lost feeling of the shame or the guilt that they're putting on themselves for not having brought this up sooner um, and knowing the importance of it, but not knowing where to start. Yeah. It's overwhelming. It is. It is. Um, so after, after that moment, and I did, I did tie it into a parenting lesson with my children because <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I wiped my face off. Everything was fine. But the weekend continued. And obviously, the riots have continued. And the issue is never going away. Because mm-hmm. the issue is always here. As long as there are humans on Earth, there will always be injustice. Mm. Um, so That's a sad reality. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just here in, in the United States. It's all over. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to figuring out where to start... Um, I took a step back and I realized that a lot of the things that I'm seeing and reading about how to bring these topics up are things that I already did. I just wasn't conscious of it. Things mm. like, um, obviously it starts when they're young by bringing, you know, books and toys and television shows into their life that have many different human beings with many different skin tones um, and many different life experiences. But then when your kids get older, um, having those conversations just randomly, you know, when we got home um, Monday evening, my 13-year-old, I noticed, was having a really hard time uh, settling down for the night. We have a pretty solid bedtime, (laughs) and I went into his room, and I noticed that he was just kind of falling apart um, over every Mm -hmm. little thing, Um, and Mm -hmm. finally... After, I realized that I needed to give him some space for a minute, and I realized that the news of what was going on, the riots and the protests, and and just grappling with that issue of inequality, that was really weighing heavily on him. Um, it's weighing heavily on all of us. Yeah. 
Um, and I think <laughs> as parents, sometimes we underestimate what our kids um, think about what they meditate on. And so I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, you know, you are safe. I said, I know this is hard. Mm. And your dad and I are here. Yeah, and it's okay to be honest and come from yeah. that vulnerable yeah. place as a parent. Sometimes we just don't have all the answers. We don't, and and I, you know, I just, I just kind of gave him that space, and he sobbed. He sobbed. Mm. I, I think we all are looking for like you know the the helpers and yeah. the things that really restore our faith in humanity in these times. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think as as parents, it's we really have to walk the line of figuring out what to what news and current events to expose our kids to and what not to. And yeah, that's really I, hard. Yeah, I, there's a lot of resources out there to help you figure out how to do that, but at the end of the day, you have to figure out what your kids can handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just implore people to not shirk away from the hard conversations. Yeah. Up until this point, I really thought the hardest conversation was going to be um, the puberty talk. Uh, and surprisingly enough, that one wasn't so bad. <laughs> hey. <laughs> that's, that's good news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, these conversations, though, are hard they're not easy and there's not a, there's not a blueprint. There's not a script. Yeah. So, if only there was a perfect manual for everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's just not, and there's going to be hard questions that they yeah. come back with that we don't know the answers to, or we may not know how to word things um, in a way that even makes us feel comfortable. And, and that's, yeah, it's hard, but it's worth it. Yeah, I think so. It is worth it. Um, because every single hard conversation that you have with your kid um, is one more one more thread that builds the relationship. It's one more one more piece that makes that a strong foundation. Mm-hmm. So you just, you gotta keep having these conversations. Yeah, because if you're if you're a thirteen year old, feel safe enough to sob with you about something that's really bothering them, that's the sign that you're doing something right. You know, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As hard as it is for us to see our kids in pain and grieving and, you know, seeing the hard, you know, in, injustices that we're seeing in the world and we're trying to, you know, reconcile, as hard as it is for us to open our kids' eyes to that, um, we do want to have our relationship be as connected enough that they trust us with those conversations and they know we're being as honest as we can be. And we're going to admit when we don't have it all figured out. And that's what keeps them coming back to us. Yeah. Yeah. So clearly you're still doing something right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that, but. (laughs) So for moms out there that need advice, what things that have you come across or resonated with that you feel like are the biggest takeaways that we need to understand about kind of this time 
right now and, and what's all going on? Or what are the most important things that you feel like moms need to remember as they're having these conversations? Oh, um, I think that they need to remember that while it is important to to let their kids know what's going on, they don't have to know every single detail. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't you don't have to sugarcoat it, and and I think it would be wrong to sugarcoat it. Um, but that you don't need to have the news on all the time. Yeah. They are. They are children, um, and it is our job as parents to to be their safe haven. Um, and so, uh, I don't know. Maybe setting aside time at the end of your day, or whenever it is that you have time. I'm sure everybody has their own rhythm and time when they talk are able to talk and have a focus with their kids. Um, but maybe just bring a question up. Uh, maybe read a book. Um, with with somebody that looks different than them in it, um, and then ask questions. Mm-hmm. And mostly, right now, I think it's important to listen. Mm-hmm. To listen, yeah, hear the voices of human beings. Yeah, which is so uncomfortable to sit with, but yeah, so necessary. It is because a lot of a lot of us, especially as moms, we're fixers. We want to make it better. We want to put a bandaid on it. We want to kiss it. We want everybody to be happy again. Yeah, that's we not going to happen. <laughs> oh, you know, and it's not going to happen now. There's going to be more pain, and it's not going to be fun. Yeah, my one, my husband's one of my husband's. Um, and that his favorite saying is sometimes you have to embrace the suck. Ugh. Mm-hmm. You would know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Speaking from experience, yeah. I, I can take your yeah. advice on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Embrace the suck because it's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go away. We have to, we have to start having these conversations. Yeah. And I know every mom you know, wants what's best for their kids. And every mom is teaching their kids to, you know, uh, take on some of these values that we want them to have, like kindness and, you know, like honesty and, you know, some of those things. And, you know, there may be a case for saying that, well, if if I just keep, teach my kids to love, then, you know, everything will be okay. Or, you know, they ju- they I just teach them to embrace everyone and to see no color. Mm. Um, you know, wh- what's like the the main problem with that idea and why do we need to take it farther? The main problem with that idea is that that it's ignoring and, and sensitizing the past. It's ignoring the reality that is today. Um, mm-hmm. The reality is, is that as human beings, we do see color. We were created to see every beautiful, gorgeous color. Mm-hmm. Um, so saying that you don't see color is is is, is ignorant and shallow. Mm-hmm. It's okay to see color. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing. And I think that I think that we did have a a time, and we're coming out of that time where we're realizing that okay, that's not okay. You can't say that. It's okay to say. 
that's a black person. It's okay to say that's a white person. Yes. Okay to say that's a brown person because that's how much melanin they have in their skin. (laughs) Yeah, that's Um, it. (laughs) And that, that is, I think over time, that's going to be the only way we start having generations that don't put a judgment on that, on that, on that word. Yeah. And because there had been such a stigma and fear related to pointing that fact out. Yeah. And I remember when my daughters were really little, um, we got a book by Karen Katz. I can't think of the name of it right now, um, but I'll link it in the show notes because I love Mm -hmm. it. And it talks about a girl that's painting pictures of all the people in her neighborhood. And she talks about the person. She talks about the aspects of their color of their skin and how Mm -hmm. she's going to mix all of her paints to make that specific color. And then mm-hmm. she gives them these like beautiful nicknames. Like, well, he's kind of like honey, cinnamon, spice. And, you know, he's more, you know, she's more like, um, like chocolate, you know, chips with, you know, sprinkles or something, you know, something where it was like, it really depicted the beauty that we can mm-hmm. see in all of these differences of the variety of skin tones that we're seeing in our neighborhoods and in our world. And I remember the first time that one of my girls, you know, went to the grocery store with me and started pointing out everybody's skin color. And it made me feel all weird inside. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if that's so, okay. I don't know if that's okay. Yeah. What, what does that mean? I don't think that. I can do that. Yes. 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 Yeah. But really, it made me just look inside me and I'm like, why am I so uncomfortable with this whole idea? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because it was good. Like they were genuinely celebrating the differences, and that's what we should be doing: is celebrating the differences in every aspect of us that makes us unique. Not just our skin color, yes. but you know our our hair and our and our abilities and our you know personality and all of it. You know, if we can point it out, then we can celebrate it. But if we say that we ignore it, then then that's not doing it justice. Right, and I think that it's often important especially in relation to current events, to teach our kids why people are protesting and why the, the, what the specific injustices are, but also the systemic injustices, um, the fact that there are so many disparities. Um, I think that that is something that we also have to be careful not to... Um, not to whitewash open. Mm-hmm. Over and talk about the fact that there are there are still places in the United States where um, black people are not welcome. You know, there are there are, there are places where uh, schools, if they are mostly people of color, they are more run down, and then we need to talk to them. About why is that? Mm-hmm. These are part of the hard questions that we have to ask. Yeah, you know the fact that if if they have a friend that is 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 black or a friend that ha- has brown skin, um, or you know if that kid were to go into a gas station by himself, they need to be aware that somebody might follow them. Mm-hmm. You might think, okay, this kid's gonna steal. Where if another kid had lighter skin, maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. We don't know because we yeah. can't judge people's hearts. But we do need to talk to our kids about how that is a reality. 
Mm-hmm. And then it does happen still today in 2020. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's sad realities. In order to have that conversation, we have to own up to it ourselves and yeah. <laughs> have yeah. the awareness that that is what's really still happening. Um, yeah. Because if it's not affecting us and our family personally on a day-to-day basis, it's really easy to not know or yeah. not know the severity. And And the best way that we can do that is probably just hearing individual stories of people's mm-hmm. experiences and really honoring their you know, sharing with us mm-hmm. about what that's looked like for them because it's usually pretty surprising. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. in Omaha. I know I have lo- lots of local listeners. You know, Omaha has is a very, very segregated city um, for a lot of systemic unjust reasons. Yeah. And like we, it's our duty to know that history. Yeah. Because we do have a responsibility to... Mm-hmm fix the wrongs that were made. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it's heavy. It is very heavy. Yeah. And I don't know all the right answers. I don't know all the right words. And there's a strong possibility that I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> yes. But I And that that's the the thing that we're tipping our toes in with like even just posting on social media right now. It feels like, well I don't know how to do it mm-hmm. right. I don't know how to say the right yeah, thing. I don't. And as, as, as a, you know, as you said in the, in the introduction, I am a biracial mother, but honestly, Danielle, before this weekend, that term biracial mother never even came across my mind. So now then, yeah. (laughs) And that's why I need to figure out why. And that needs to be something that I talk about. And that needs to be something that I talk about with my children. Yeah. What is interesting. I sat, I sat my kids down today and we started going through a resource I had found on Instagram that was like, you know, white family's guide to conversations Mm -hmm. about racism. And it was introducing the idea of bias, which I had never talked with them about before. And it was showing them pictures of like cartoon people and they're all identical, same faces, same clothes, but they all had different skin tones. And it was asking them, you know, which one do you think is going to be um, really kind? And which one is the mean one? And which one's going to be like a good student? And which one's going to be a bad student? And they had answers. And uh, it was the whole point of it was saying, you don't know these kids. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot judge that, any of those things about a person based off the color of your skin and just the fact that you even think that you could begin to know anything about these kids based yeah. off the color of their skin is something that we need to be aware of. Yeah. And it was eye-opening for me as a parent. Like, I would have never thought to point that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to get um, the title of that book if you have a chance. I'm sure you'll link it, like you said, in the show notes. But um... – Yes. Yes, I will. It's uh, like colors of us or shades of us or something like that. I'll, I will mm-hmm. send it to you. But yeah, there's so many great resources. And I always am pointing families to um, books, not only for mm-hmm. us to read because we can't give what yeah. we don't have, but for our kids, the best conversations and the best teaching usually comes yeah. around a book yeah. um, because it just helps everybody you know, wrap their mind around it in such a healthy way 
And I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a book yes. nerd being in <laughs> early too. childhood. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm yes. sure you are too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can compile a short list too, um, at the end of this, but I know there's been, there's been so many people share, willing to share, um, their experiences and the resources that they are pointing people to in this time. And, and we're, very lucky to um, be recipients of that. And we just have to dive in as much as we can right now, as much as our mental health, you know, wills us to, um, along with everything else that's going on. Um, And, you know, we we do have the ability to take a break, but, you know, or take a breath, but then continue Mm -hmm. this work as, you know, life kind of moves on and continue to have these conversations with our kids. Absolutely. Yeah. As soon as, as, you know, as the weeks go on and the protests die down, because they will die down, um, yeah, the earth continues to turn. Um, it <laughs> is, it's our job as parents to not stop talking. Um, as you, one of the common phrases on your podcast and, and in your work, I noticed is that parenting is a hard job, <laughs> and mm-hmm. this is part of a hard job. We have to not stop talking about this stuff. We have to continue, even even when the media tells us um, that the the protests have stopped or the riots have stopped Mm -hmm. or, oh, the injustices are solved. The injustices are not going to be solved overnight. This has been going on since the beginning of time. They're not going to be solved. But Mm -hmm. we have to start working towards that. And we have to continue every single day. Yeah. And we can do hard things. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the last question that I ask every guest that comes on is, how are you the mom that your kids need? How am I the mom that my kids need? I am the mom that my kids need because of the man that I married. Um, he is my second marriage. Um, as I mentioned before in the podcast, we have been friends since we were very young children and there is a level of connection there and friendship that can't be explained um and it just it just brings such a fun interesting element to our relationship and it it just creates a very fun marriage and a very fun family um and he balances me he he brings out the best in me, um, and we work so well together. And I just don't think I know that I wouldn't be the mom that my kids need without him. And mm. so, yeah, that's that's how I am, the mom that my kids need. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you're doing an amazing job. Yeah, I, <laughs> we we all have these these hiccups, but um, just the fact that you are willing to serve and have the humility to share from that vulnerable place, we are so honored to have heard your story and to have have met and and be sharing in this way. So, thank you so much. You're welcome for your time. Thank you for having me. I, I enjoy yes, talking to you. Yes, we will have to be in touch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. I hope we can do this again over another topic or something. Can you believe her story? I hope you heard exactly what you needed to hear today. Things are heavy right now, but you're doing the best you can. Always remember, you are the mom your kids need. 
I hope every single episode serves you, supports you, and encourages you. If you're loving the podcast, leave a review, tell a friend, and support the show. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. I believe in you, and I'm cheering you on.